my opening line was Mr. Joyce. So uh, I was playing Sinjin Gogarty. And so uh, the rest is history. That was the first performance with New Point and with Sean. And he was an extraordinary, extraordinary charismatic individual who was sort of relaunching New Point at that stage. It's such a, an amazing organisation. I stand back sometimes and I look at the time that people give, the dedication and the skills that we can call on in a, in a club like our company. People like Declan McConaughey who are engineers and have worked with BBC and cameramen, sound men, um, you know, um, and lighting men of course. Um, then all the, the, the products who are actors, like the Lynch family, for example. At the moment, you can't turn on your TV without seeing either John Lynch or Susan Lynch. Hi there, and welcome to Arma Eyes podcast. This is your host, Elaine Ingram, and that was the voice of Sean Trainer a familiar one to many who have an interest in drama and theatre around our locality, or anyone who's associated with Carcuppet and GAA Club. Sean is the Senior and Artistic Director and Writer for the New Point Players, as well as being a singer, an actor and a poet. And he's also the former Chairman of Carcuppet. I sat down with Sean recently and he gave a fascinating insight into the New Point Players and his various roles and how they all came to be. He even recited one of his poems for you to enjoy. So, hello, Sean. It's really nice to hello, meet you. Hello, Lynn. How are you? Um, you are a playwright, director, actor, producer, singer, poet. <laughs> yeah, um, smuggler. <laughs> well, we'll get to the smuggler bit GAA in a while. Man. GAA man, Cara Kruppen man. Yeah. Although, You've just told me, and I want you to explain a bit more about this, that Carrick Kruppen is actually Carrick Bracken, where you grew up in Kamla. So yeah, maybe yeah. tell us tell us this, the story. And you grew up in uh, uh, in the house of somebody who... Um, quite oh, yeah. Somebody famous. Yeah, well, Carrick Kruppen uh, Football Club was originally established at Carrick Kruppen, which is a townland further up, uh, around where Carrick Kruppen Chapel is. And uh, then... They bought land in my hometown land, which is Carrick Bracken. Um, when I was small, which town land you belonged to really was important. <laughs> and uh, but the Carrick Open football field now is actually in Carrick Bracken, which is the town land I was born in. And um, it's famous for two people who were born there. Just opposite the football field is the home of Frank Aiken, who was a uh, great um, leader of the. Uh, Revolution yeah. in 1916 and beyond, beyond 1916, uh, War of Independence, and later a politician uh, at the United Nations. And the other person who was important in that area was Don Byrne. And I was born in the house in which Don Byrne lived. Now, most people don't know who Don Byrne was, yeah, I think. Including myself. No, but Don Byrne um, was uh, born in New York of South of my parents, and they came to live in Carrickbracken. And he went to Camden School, as I did, and uh, he was a very, very good scholar. Uh, won a lot of the of prizes at fishes and that kind of thing. Spoke very fluent Irish, and he went around different fishes uh, in the early nineteen hundreds at the time of the Gaelic revival. And I have a piece of paper somewhere where uh, from a newspaper. Uh, recording that uh, he was second to Roger Casement in the verse speaking in Irish in oh the Glens of Antrim Fish. <laughs> and then he went on to become a best-selling author. And when I, I mean, he was a very rich man then from yeah. very humble beginnings. Uh, he ended up, um, you know, playing casinos in Monte Carlo. He ended up uh, selling hundreds of thousands of books uh, and after a big win in Monte Carlo, he bought Coolmain Castle in Cork, um, which he uh, equipped with uh, an enormous white bathroom, he records, <laughs> and electric lights. And he had a Bentley and so forth. And one day in 1928, he was driving 
back to Coolmain, um, which is near Band in County Cork. And uh, he unfortunately drove over a cliff and that was the end of a glorious career. Um, but for that uh, death at age 38, he 38. would no doubt have been one of the legendary Irish men of literature. You know, so. Yeah. And you, did you find this out when you were a child or in later years that you... Uh, I had heard of Don Byrne as a child, but only more recently have I done any uh, particular uh, reading of his work or research on him. In fact, uh, during lockdown, I intended to do a bit more than I have done. I've done a little bit more research. But um, yeah, I think he deserves to be better known. Uh, there's been some work done on him. Um, Father Bradley, who used to be the parish priest in Bestwick, did some work on him uh, yeah. and his background. But an extraordinary character. And do you think that maybe um, you channeled Don Byrne um, in yourself, in your career, becoming yeah. what you became and your thespian career? Well, um, sometimes I do think that, you know, he, he had promise unfulfilled and he's trying to get me to, <laughs> to carry on some of the things that uh, he would have written. But I think uh, he, he wrote novels and uh, very entertaining ones and very adventurous ones as well. Um, I tend to write drama, so maybe not. But one interesting little coincidence is that, and I didn't know about this, but uh, in my last, the last play that I wrote, the story of Mary Kay, uh, I used, as I always do in drama, I used a piece of music called Tanshe Mahalu Nadushta Me, I'm Asleep Don't Waken Me. And uh, I, I'd known it for years and years and years and loved it and thought I would use it in this piece, Mary Kay. Uh, as a choral piece and uh, courtesy of um, Manus O'Boyle and a few others I managed to get a good choral um, version of it um, and then just a few months back I was looking at a photograph of the headstone of Don Byrne and on the headstone there is his name and his death etc is recorded but then underneath Tamsha Imachalu Nadushtame I'm asleep don't waken me I thought that was really, really. That it sounds like more than more than a coincidence. <laughs> so maybe Don is channeling there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that's just one of those strange coincidences. Yeah. yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. And um, you went to school then in the Abbey. Yeah, I went to the Abbey. Uh, wonderful experience, the Abbey. Um, I'm one of those products of the Christian Brothers who can say without fear of um, contradiction that I never had a single slap and uh, loved every single moment of it. I mean, the world is coming down with stories of people who were treated cruelly, but I loved every minute of it. Um, and just the most wonderful teachers, you know, and uh, extraordinary men like Brother Newell, uh, Brother McGee, Brother Liston, uh, Brother Murphy, uh, Brother Lynham, and then lay teachers like Paddy Crenion, and uh, was a legendary uh, Latin scholar, uh, Greek scholar, Irish scholar, um, Brenton Cassidy, magnificent teachers, and uh, Brother McGee, uh, I have a friend, Anthony Russell, who also writes uh, historical plays, a uh, very big contributor to the culture of Newry, and Anthony and I often remember together the wonderful classes we had from Brother McGee. So, yeah, and then on the GA side, I, I was coached by Jerry Brown, who was um, a big contributor to the first, the first down uh, all Ireland victory in nineteen yeah. what was that nineteen sixty I suppose, and um, you were a Macquarie Cup boy as well. Well, I didn't win one, no, but I I, I, did, I did I did I did play in Macquarie. I I captained a Macquarie team in fact, um, only because the original captain, <laughs> <laughs> the original captain ran into a wall and broke his arm. Uh, okay, you didn't have to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I had a very good outing uh, one day against Martin O'Neill, who later became. Um, manager of uh, so many teams in England. Yeah. Well, he won, he was in the World Cup Northern Ireland team, of yeah. course. And, uh, yeah, manager of Ireland more recently. And um, yeah, he was a bit of a challenge to Mark, I can tell you. I filed him a few times, gave away a few frees, <laughs> but um, otherwise from play, I held him scoreless. So yeah, that was okay. <laughs> so uh, the Abbey was good. The Abbey was very, very good. Did you, um, how about your the, your drama career? Did you did you do a lot of acting in, in the Abbey? Um. Interesting thing about my um, experience of the stage was that my first on-stage experience was in Thielen, in the Gaeltacht, and it was there for, in Irish. 
And the next time I was on stage was uh, when I was a student in, in Lille. Well, I was in Cambrai, actually. I was based in Cambrai. Then I got friendly with a guy who was into experimental drama. Uh, as I've said many times before, I didn't understand what experimental drama was then. What but it was. was what experimental <laughs> drama is. It was uh, basically anything that's weird and wonderful. You create a play out of uh, a rhino- seeing a rhinoceros which doesn't exist or something like that. Or okay. um, it's very absurd. Um, so you have to suspend your disbelief. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but I ended up uh, being on stage speaking French then the second time, which was... Were you uh, fluent in French at this stage? I was studying French at Queen's. Uh, I had, I was doing French, medieval French and English. Uh, and uh, yeah, there wasn't much opportunity to speak medieval French. So <laughs> I ended up at the festival, festival at Avignon with this friend of mine, Didier Roussel, and a merry band of uh, experimental theatre goes. So that was, yeah, uh, that was... You first. caught the bug. Yeah, well, not really. I, I, I just thought it was fun. And then I ended up teaching, after I graduated, I ended up teaching in St. Coleman's mm-hmm. alongside Sean Hollywood. That's probably that's, a huge, yeah. you know, um, influence. Yeah, he was because, um, well, there was one day I was uh, in, the <laughs> in the gents' toilets and uh, I was washing my hands and he was washing his hands side by side and... Um, I was singing, you know, and uh, he said, you have quite a strong voice. I need someone for a play, a one act that I'm doing. So he was doing this one act called Mr. Joyce's Leaving Paris, and he needed someone to enter for their part, but from the back of the hall and had to be heard from the back of the hall. Uh, So uh, he was playing Mr. Joyce. So my opening line was Mr. Joyce. So uh, I was playing St. John Gogarty. And so... uh, the rest is history. That was the first performance with New Point and with Sean. And he was an extraordinary, extraordinary charismatic individual who was sort of relaunching New Point at that stage, mainly doing one acts. And I was in lots of one acts, most of which I've forgotten now. Um, played um, Donald Duck in one of them. <laughs> <laughs> played a, a very dirty mouthed, foul mouthed, uh, unhygienic cowboy on another one. <laughs> um, and lots of crazy one acts, and um, it was great fun again. And, and then we did longer plays after that. Yeah, so that's how you got involved then in yeah. the New Point players. Yeah. And um, you know, you a lifelong friend of Sean's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who you know? Well, he died aged fifty eight, I think it was, in, yeah. in ninety eight. Uh, and and um, that was a huge loss to you know to the a, whole community. To the whole community, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how did that affect the, the New Point players at well, the time? Yeah, at the time, um, I mean, we were indebted to Kate O'Hanlon, Donal O'Hanlon, uh, and, you know, people like that who took on the mantle of just organising things. Sean wasn't a man for committees or organising, but most people need organisation. So Donald um, and Kate uh, made sure the whole thing continued. And Sean's great contribution, of course, was, or one of his great contributions, apart from the senior group work, where we did, you know, we went to All-Irelands and won in All-Ireland with um, the Marasad. And, you know, we were known far and wide as a, a very uh, good quality group, if I dare yeah. say so. Absolutely. But apart from that, he had, he had launched the New Point Youth Show, which I think is going about 40 years this year. Um, and from the youth show, you had, of course, endless um, dozens of people who became professionals in the theatre. Um, and beyond, even and into beyond. television. Yeah, um, you have people like Declan McConaughey who are engineers and have worked with BBC and cameramen, sound men, um, you know, um, and lighting men, of course, um, then all the, the, the products who are actors like the Lynch family for example at the moment you can't turn on your TV without seeing either John Lynch or Susan Lynch well I was just saying to you earlier <laughs> um, I've, in the last couple of weeks I've just been watching two yeah. things with um, both yeah. of them I yeah. watched Bad Day for the Cut with yeah. Susan in it and she was absolutely yeah, she's awesome. fantastic villain yeah. in that yeah. and um, I watched um, John in 
the terror yeah which is one that sort of went under the radar and yeah. it's um it's an absolutely fantastic show yeah. i don't know if you've seen yeah, it or not but if you haven't no, i think the last thing i saw john that i followed was the damned i think you know that one where he was a police officer and then susan i came across her in forgotten which she, where she plays a police officer as well but a, yeah. a very uh, frightening police officer at times <laughs> she's alongside sheila hancock but so and then I have the pleasure currently of working with Pauline Lynch, who's uh, the uh, amateur actress singer. So she's a lesser known. Is it, well, so far, yeah, so far. Sister. And then uh, in Derry Girls, you have Susan and John's niece, Pauline's niece, Leah O'Rourke. I sent her a play the other day. It's something she might be interested in looking at. So Lynch's are there, and then you have other people like Sean Kearns, who's been working with Sting, uh, just the other evening on. Um, BBC, direct from the lyric, you had that, uh, you had a play called Sadie from the lyric with uh, David Pierce yeah. playing the part of Clark, a really frightening uh, role which he, he undertook and uh, David I usually have seen him do so many comic things, I really was shocked to see David doing such fearsome, fearsome uh, a role as Clark in the, in the play Sadie, it was a wonderful show and then another man who's not very well recognised locally is Eugene O'Hare. Uh, the last show I saw of his in London, one which he wrote and contributed to the directing of, was uh, a thing called Sydney and the Old Girl with Miriam Margolis uh, and Mark Hadfield. Again, he has, he has produced some wonderful stuff. Short stories for Radio 4, plays for Channel 4, plays for the National. Amazing character. Yeah. I, I could just go on. I mean, there's so yeah. There's so, so much. Many. There's so much talent around yeah. here, but it's great yeah. to have places like um, the New Point Players, where yeah. that, that sort of talent yeah. can be nurtured. And you mentioned the the youth set up there. Yeah. I mean, that is. I mean, I've seen some of those plays over the yeah. years. They get these young people, and they do this thing <laughs> in the summer, which yeah. is incredible. Whereas there's a, um, you know, they. It's, it's only a, like a six week or something yeah, like that. Yeah, six weeks preparation time, yeah. And they produce mm. the most fantastic shows, which yeah, well, is... One of the, the... What's happened over the years is that someone... Well, certainly since Sean uh, said goodbye to us in 98, uh, normally what, what has happened is that someone who has been through the youth scheme, even the Lynches, both of them, Susan and John and so forth, have come back and contributed, but... Um, uh, David Pierce has been very active as well, and people like that. They've all done a year, and uh, you know produced a show. So you have a contribution uh, in the sense that you have professional actors coming back to contribute six weeks of their time, uh, and then people have the experience of working with people of that quality, and then they're inspired to go on and do whatever they do, be it writing or acting or lighting or technicals of one kind or other. Uh, and it has a, a huge influence it's, I mean New Point Youth had a huge influence on my own children's life uh, they're both in the law and they they would feel that their whatever qualities they have on their feet <laughs> come largely from New Point and then people like Derville MacDonald who is quite a prominent journalist you might know her from f formerly being uh, editor, assistant editor was she of uh, the Sunday Independent and she was with the Sunday Times as well but Derville she would similarly say that she was greatly indebted to New Point Youth. And then, of course, there are other groups in Newry. Newry is rich in the sense that you have Newry Musical Society and uh, the Bosco are now doing wonderful work as well. Uh, Newry Musical is the one I Yeah, was you were involved with the Newry Musical Society as well. Yeah. And um, do you think that you brought, when you... When you um, your, your plays and your directing and stuff like that, did you bring that musicality into... The new point a bit because uh, yeah. there was a lot of Shakespearean stuff and you know yeah. straight plays yeah. in in historically uh, yeah and do you think you've brought a yeah. lot of that in with you? Well, anything that I have directed or or written, uh, there's always a big part for music in it. And I mean, I did. I was lucky enough to be invited in by Charlie Smith and Chris Torrimans, Wesley Livingstone, to do various roles in um, Oklahoma and um, Showboat and. Carousel, various roles I got where I sang, and you you got became very aware of the power of music. So when I was directing things like, well, Trojan Women, for example, I would use you know Gregorian chant or uh, in um, Metamorphosis, another show I did, which is a bit 
you know, experimental. I used Philip Plass in that, and a um, again totally different type of music. And then it's very as, mesmeric. Mesmeric, yeah, yeah, is a good word for it. And uh, then in the Mary Kay, as I say, it's Shandos. It's it's uh, it's a different type of atmosphere you want to create, and it's a wonderful, yeah, it's a wonderful means of communicating and getting the audience on your side. You know, uh, one of the most interesting ones I did was um, well, there were two that were very musically based. I did a, 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 I wrote a version of The Red Barn, which is a kind of Victorian drama, but I wrote my own version of it anyway, and um, the storyline, and I put a lot of kind of Greek gypsy music in it. Um, and uh, then there was one, uh, Moliere, going back to the French, uh, The Miser, and I put a lot of Lully music in it then, which is kind of Baroque, you know, tinkly tinkly stuff yeah. <laughs> but it was very atmospheric again yeah i love to put the music in too would that be this. like your directing sensibilities coming out there you know yeah i think so yeah, yeah. it's a total bias on my part that you know but i, I think a play with music has you know, blood brothers some of those things yeah you come away with images in well your it's head, just it's, a, it's an added layer it's an added really? layer and if you get the music right uh, the whole atmosphere. It can be a character in itself. Precisely. Yeah. yeah well, that's, that's what I would, yeah. I would. And I've been very lucky. I mean, so many people have. Uh, our musicians. I know so many people who are just willing to Mary McManus, for example, and uh, say Manus O'Boyle, and various other people who have been press ganged into, <laughs> into giving me a hand with the music because I don't have any particular musical skills except that I have sung a bit and I would know what I like, etc. Yeah. That's it, you know. And the, the the play that you were doing, Mary Kay, mm. um, unfortunately, uh, that was you were bang in the middle of touring that when Yeah, yeah. That was um yeah, it was going pretty well, I think. Um I had a big cast, there were maybe twenty five of us and it was it's the true story of Mary Kay, but it's actually made up of various stories that I heard in my childhood. Um and particularly through my aunties and my grandmother. And um yeah, I put them all together into one piece, and uh, then we did three performances, I think it was. One in Balamoney, one in Newton Stewart, I think it was, yeah. And the last one was in Enniskillen. And did you know that the lockdown was coming at that point? As soon as we came off stage, we the, the news seemed to have broken over the evening time that uh, there wasn't going to be a play the following night in the festival. That and therefore we were very difficult. It was, having put so much work into it, I mean, it took me, what, six months to write the darn thing in its various versions. And then, you know, you spend three months with a big cast who are giving up their time very generously. And you've got the music and you've got the logistics of the vans to carry the set and all that kind of thing. Um, and everyone is deeply invested in it. Yeah. And you're just beginning to go well. And... Um, uh, we were particularly pleased with the Enniskillen performance as we were coming off. <laughs> because with a play like that, it, does, yeah. it, is, it is like a gradual sort of, you know... Yeah, it accumulates, you know. And I suppose that comes mm. with the cast all bonding and everything else. That is else, true, yeah. I would imagine. And as amateurs, I mean, it's not as if you're... Like, professionals go into... Over six weeks, they go into the studio every day or whatever. Um, and they have 12 hours or whatever at the time they have. Uh, whereas with us, it's... Uh, the only time I could see my cast together as a full cast was usually on a Sunday evening. Apart from that, you rehearsed individual scenes. And, um, you know, it, as you say, it's only maybe after the third performance that you really begin to get the feel of where things are going. So that was disappointing, you know. Uh, but Will it be revived after? Well, judging by the WhatsApp, I think people are keen enough to go out again with it. Uh, and uh, we had a good feeling about it. Uh, I do have other projects in mind. The problem is that over lockdown, Elaine, I have developed more and more projects, more and more things that I've uh, prepared for, you know, in my mind, I've prepared to put on stage. And so... Um, so you've been keeping yourself very busy yeah, lot, in your head anyway, over lockdown. <laughs> between researching Don Byrne, I've written a piece about Oliver Plunkett. I've written an adaptation of The Dead, which I'd like to do again, this time with, you know, if you read Joyce's The Dead, uh, you almost don't notice the fact that there's a lot of music in the background. And again, that music at that time, it would have been 
Mirror's Melodies. Yeah. And I started researching Mirror's Melodies and then I realised, oh my God, there's so many of these songs that are absolutely wonderful, even to a modern ear, you know. Um, <laughs> and I, I sort of think, yeah. And the second thing that's interesting about the, the, the Dead is that in the background there's also a lot of the Gaelic Revival uh, and that political background which yes. tends not to be brought out. So I want to do a, an adaptation not directly off the piece itself, you know, not just do it, but an interpretation, of, an it. interpretation of it, yeah, um, with the basic story the same, but different lines, as it were. Yeah, and Oliver Blue, you mentioned Oliver Plunkett. Yeah. And all I, all I can think of is memories of being taken as a school child to see Oliver Plunkett's head. Yeah. That was, that used to be a school trip. Yeah, yeah. This little Very dramatic. black yeah. head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this image I'm not going to use this now but whenever I get round to doing this show which is based on Oliver Plunkett uh, I, my first thought was a bit like you I would start with just a spotlight on a head of Oliver Plunkett okay. but that's not going to happen I've, I've scrubbed that idea you know what I mean um, we traumatise an awful lot of <laughs> school children but it, is, it, it happened to me as well I didn't go on a school trip we called in one time and uh, and as a family we were go passing through Drogheda and my mother insisted that we go and look at the head of Oliver Plunkett but um, again I've, uh, the, uh, as a character fascinating Yeah. Uh, as is you know you start researching all of these characters and you begin to realise that they are you know there's a drama in everyone's life I mean not just famous people like Oliver Plunkett but everybody and, um, so there are thousands and millions and millions of plays to be done Oh, and so yeah. there's no shortage of material out there if you just get the time, the space and the end of lockdown to get doing them, you know. Yeah, yeah. and you have plenty of people that are, um, you know, willing to work with you. and Just wonderful, wonderful people. I mean, I did recently enough, a couple of years ago, uh, now I did uh, Waiting for Godot with Don Lohan and Laurie Hodgett. It's a great show. Uh, Sean Markey um, and uh, Turlock Trainer and with Dara Downey. Um, and um, Dara Down is like what is he 13, 14 uh, plays piano sings da 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 <laughs> just um, but that was a cast of extraordinary dedication and talent as was my Mary Kay uh, cast Sean Markey did the um, Waiting for Godot and a few other things The Red Barn a lot of good material uh, he did uh, Portia Coughlin with me it was wonderful in that but I cast Sean first of all as Macbeth. Uh, I was walking down the street with my daughter Fiona one day and I didn't have someone to play Macbeth and then Sean was coming out of the cathedral and I said oh I solved my problem. I walked over <laughs> and I said Sean you're Macbeth. He said what? <laughs> and by the time we had walked to the end of Hill Street together he was convinced that he was Macbeth. Okay so, <laughs> so you're good at so that's the director that's coming out and you be good at persuading funny, people. <laughs> it's funny you know that one of the things that it makes that allows you to cast people at, uh, is the way they walk, the way they present themselves. You sort of look at someone, you say, "Yeah," and they may have never have acted before or thought they could act, but you see something. Well, you see something that fits the character that you have in mind, and the the way they're to carry themselves and physically how they. Would they you work. ever draw? So, would you ever write something with a, with somebody in mind, or does it work the other way around? In that you write something and then you find the person to fit what's in your head. Um, that's interesting. Uh, the Red Barn one I wrote. Uh, I can't really remember which came first, but I don't think it was Patrick in mind for that, and uh, Marie Claire, and I wanted the music so I'd in mind to, to use, you know, Donald O'Hanlon, who not only is chairman, but uh, is also a good guitarist and musician. And so I had, yeah, I had the people in mind for that, you know. Um, and maybe subconsciously you even do that and don't even realise Maybe, it yeah, well. it's, it's difficult to know, you know. But normally I think, yeah, normally the, the play comes first and the storyline and then, yeah, you pick the actors yeah. after that, I think, with me, yeah. And you, you started off, you know, acting, mm. and when did you t turn to writing and directing? And, and well, were you, do you think you were always, you know, that 
was always a bigger part for you or uh, well I'd always been writing and scribbling things um, and I thought Newpoint as an amateur group um, I thought we were were good enough and we had the personnel to produce um, original productions first of all yeah and by that I mean that for example the Scottish play the Macbeth I I, I you know I, I said I Look, I'm not doing this Macbeth the way everybody's done it. I'm going to do something different and something relevant. So uh, I did that as uh, a Dublin drug scene. You know what I mean? It was all based on the Dublin drugs, um, drug barons and so forth. So Macbeth was a drug baron. Oh, I'd love to have seen that, actually. Well, yeah, it was, it was an interesting one. Uh, and then the same thing with The Waiting for Godot. I think we did something different with that uh, because there was much more humour in it and much more clownishness. Um, than you would normally get perhaps um, and um, again so there was this goes back to Sean Hollywood he, he didn't believe in doing things you know that were second hand either something you'd seen in the West End you sort of look at it and say oh well, I'm going to do that and do yeah, it the same way just copy it. no I think yeah. we, you know having a very bunch, creative bunch of actors uh, you have an ob- obligation to them to do something creatively interesting and then I thought, well, let's do some original scripts as well. So, um, and I'd always been scribbling, as I say. So I produced an adaptation, first of all, of Frankenstein. Uh, then I did uh, a, an original piece based on a dancer that I knew. You need to be prepared to sit at your desk. That's why lockdown sort of suits me. Um, if it doesn't come to the end soon, though, I'm going to have more stuff than I can ever live it long enough to do, you know, <laughs> because uh, I just keep thinking of stories and hearing stories and saying, that's interesting. I mean, I don't, yeah, even in lockdown when there's nothing happening. You're yeah, just... but there's something happening all the time, potentially. I mean, last night, this is literally true. Last night I I, I was reading um, up on someone called uh, Nawal El Sadawi, who died recently. She was a prize winning uh Egyptian writer, a feminist, a politically active lady, uh, but with a wonderful life, you know, and who's written some extraordinary, very feminist pieces. And I thought, oh my God, yes, there's another potential um, storyline, someone else who will provide, either through her own life, you know, you could write her own life and make a very interesting play out of it, or some of the work that she's produced could be produced as drama um, having the internet as well like it must yeah. be it must send you in all sorts of mad directions because I mean yeah. all, there's so much information out there and you must be like yeah. wired yeah. finding yeah. all these mad stories yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you know you should say that because uh, when I was researching the Dawn Burden and um, I was reminded of you know Kisman's name came up in all of these reports on the fish and Roger Kisman and then you start thinking, what a wonderful character he was, and how conflicted Amazing he was. Amazing stories. And you think, you know, there must be, I mean, there have been films done about him and so forth, but again, that's another potential interesting person. Yeah. Um, as I say, I, I was, simply because I, I um, the Nawal Al Sadawi lady, again, such a, an amazing character, and um, so many stories and so many people to be explored. Um, do you find yourself going down rabbit holes a lot yes <laughs> <laughs> I am never uh, idle <laughs> I do not know what idleness is in the sense that yeah there's always some little writing or play acting adventure to be pursued yeah yeah that's so in a way lockdown has suited me but it's very frustrating because number one I miss my football so I'm very dedicated to that as you yeah, know yeah tell us a little bit about your football well, I, I was chairman of Carrick Cup in the, you know, the 70s, early 80s. Uh, we built uh, clubhouses and we won championships and we had a wonderful kind of golden period then. It wasn't all to do with me now, mind you, but uh, I would love to think it was, but we happened to have a wonderful crop of players. We've gone through ups and downs since then and I took time away from it because I was studying as well because I had a kind of uh, academic life in the late 80s. I did a doctorate and did a few things like that, you know. Um, and um, was involved in academics for a while. And then I went back to Carrick in a more meaningful way. I, and went back to, I dropped out of um, the Musical Society at that time 
kept my new point going and more or less stood back from the GAA but it was so nice particularly when I retired to really get properly involved in the GAA you know um, it's such a, an amazing organization I stand back sometimes and I look at the time that people give the dedication and the skills that we can call on in a, in a club like our company you know with all my friends like you know people who are accountants and you know managers and executives of one kind or another and people who are good with kids and people who look after kids and it's just beyond belief how generous people are in an unpaid role yeah because it's all voluntary it's, yeah and that's what i love i love the voluntary nature of it doesn't matter whether you're you know taking an under six team on a friday night where we have 106 or 108 children on the field or whether it's you know elite inter-county armagh t- uh, type football but um uh, and hurling and boys and girls all involved as well it's very egalitarian at the moment our girls are very strong with caroline O'Hanlon yeah well caroline like yeah exactly That's so we have an amazing range of people and a great community contribution being made by everybody so uh, it's very humbling yeah but it's to great it. to, you know to, for young people to have the outlets that they have yeah in, in the area like you know you're talking about sport there yeah which is fantastic not everybody's athletic some people are lucky enough to be athletic right. other people you know yeah. the drama for for you know for mental health and everything yeah. especially in the times like yeah. an outlet for young people to have that's where right. they can yeah. express themselves be yeah. it on the sport field sporting yeah. field or, or being in you know on a, yeah. on a stage or yeah, yeah well we have the way. we have of course the score for the singers the dancers and the actors you know although i don't do very much on score i don't uh, in spite of my other activities of new point and nearly musical and pantomime and all those things but i don't do you've done a bit of score. pantomime <laughs> <laughs> my life's a pantomime in some ways <laughs> now, i did a little bit of pantomime with charlie smith you know because i uh, uh, charlie uh, had heard me singing in the musical society where he was president at a time before wesley livingstone was president and he asked me along to uh, to sing a few songs and i did showboat and i did uh, did joe and showboat that was the time when uh, it was still okay i think to you know to play a black role even though you're white um and then oklahoma i did um judd fry in that and i did jigger and carousel and lots of lots of baddies actually you know but that's with mainly big booming voices <laughs> mainly with big <laughs> booming voices because i sing bass baritone or whatever i sing when i sing um Usually in tune, but not always in tempo. <laughs> but anyway, so I ended up singing the giant's role in the pantomime, for example. You know, very romantic songs. But I was singing from backstage, while the real pantomime artists could go out there and face, you know, four hundred kids. Oh yes, you will. Oh no, you won't. Type thing. It's a very particular set of skills that you need for pantomime, and. Uh, I never thought that I would have them, and I don't. I, I think it's probably too late now. You know. <laughs> Maybe the rear end of a horse uh, might be front end of a horse if I get promotion. You never know. Um, but uh, straight acting I could handle, comedy I could handle, but uh, panto beyond me. Yeah, you've also um, done some poetry. You're a, oh, a yeah. poet as well, and um, I. Yeah. I I believe you uh, a poem that you wanted to read about uh, uh, you wrote about one of your teachers well this goes back to my camera days uh, I, I just mentioned this to you Elaine and um, <laughs> I thought it was maybe something something different anyway um, I wrote this one actually for a friend of mine and it brought me back to my childhood because I you know I, you always plunder your childhood to you know when you're writing things and it's called Miss Sands. Miss Sands was my first teacher in primary school. And it tells the story of being dragged away from home to be uh, a student aged five in Miss Sands' class. So it's called Miss Sands. I did not have the words for it, but my mother and I stood respectful, deep-breathed, outside the classroom door with its fern-leafed, frosted glass As twenty voices lilted the morning offering, we waited and I gripped her hand. I did not have the words for it, but I could not see why my peaceful summer should turn to winter, 
to an unknown world or worse? And why should the daily routine of holding the dustpan and emptying the wind-blown ashes, feeding the baby and washing the soup vegetables and laughing helplessly at the idea of crying as the last of the onion was diced, why should it all die here and now? I did not have the words for it, but I wanted to stay at home, to stoke each day the new cleaned, new filled grate, to shout, he's here, and then stand back in awe, shy and silent, before the red-faced, blue-aproned butcher on a Tuesday, the leather-backed, black-faced, white-eyed coal man on a Friday. I did not have the words for it, but I wanted still to echo my mother's Hello Harry to the hurrying wispy figure of our half-blind neighbour scuttling on his urgent daily migration to the boogie shop in the village. And who would sing songs with my mother at radio lunchtime requests? And who would half-hum, half-chorus the crackling songs of Delia Murphy, of Margaret Barry or of Charlie McGee? And who would stand in near religious silence with my mother and listen as if to a Latin prayer to the warbling tenor of John McCormick and share her sense that the song had done us good? And who would bow with her to the priestly voice from Walton's advising, if you feel like singing, do sing an Irish song? I did not have the words for it, but who would climb up at the table by the window and eat bread pudding with raisins and guess if the next car to pass would be black or blue or green? Who would see Charlie Murphy go by on his grinding horse and cart? Or who would catch a glimpse of Johnny McCullough clip-clop, clip-clop at a gallop past the house, gone before I could reach the garden gate? I did not have the words for it, but the classroom prayer ended. My mother's rattling tap on the glass thundered in my heartbeat. There was a muffled sound of scuttled movement, whispered last words, closing desk lids, squeaking seat hinges, and a shadow approached the door. I did not have the words for it, but that door opened on a high, busy, hive-like world of regimented rows and stores and boxes and shelves and books and maps and globes and warmth and all in order. I did not have the words for her, but she admired the stiff new leather satchel on my back. I did not have the words for her, but her hand closed tenderly on mine. I didn't have the words for her, but her cardigan was so red, the pleats of her black skirt were so perfect and straight and narrow, the wave of her brown hair was so soft, the brown of her eye so deep, the breadth of her smile so broad, that I did not have the words for her. Oh, that's lovely. And that's... So that's really nice. So and that was, um, yeah, I wrote that for one of my friends, but as I say, I delved into my memories of going to school first in Camden PS in Malagies, you know. Yeah, it's quite and fitting actually now coming out of lockdown, there's probably an awful lot of kids that might be hanging out to their mother's uh, yeah. coattails. Yeah, and just one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of my great friends, uh, Dirty Frame, has just died. She spent her most of her teaching career there, and her father, uh, her sorry, her husband, Freddie, taught me as well. So yeah. Um, Perhaps suitable yeah. <laughs> this time, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the more recent pieces that I've written, and uh, I try and write something like that maybe once a week. You know, something poetical it stops me getting bored writing either prose or or plays. You know, so yeah, yeah. It just yeah. obviously just comes very naturally to you. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> I think if anything comes natural or easy, it's probably not worth doing. It's wrong, you know what There's I mean? There's probably I just a lot don't... of ripped up pieces of paper in the bin. Yeah, I think before it comes going to... back to the Mary Kay, I mean, I, I, I jokingly said this is the latest edit and there were probably about 14 edits of it, you know, at that stage. And then, you know, as you're on the floor working with your actors and so forth, and you hear the line, you say, oh, God, did I write that? You know, that's terrible, you know. Do you ever have to, like, sort of stand back and take another, um, like, come back to things? Because, oh, yeah. Because yeah. you get, yeah. you know, bogged yeah. down in something yeah. that you're writing. Yeah. Oh, well, I, you, 
you can delude yourself so easily and then you go back to something even a half an hour later and it's, it's just awful you you've wasted time well you haven't wasted time but you've learned something you know it's like it's like going to the theater i i always i never leave a play because even when you see bad theater you say well you know i know what's wrong there you know you learn from from the something that doesn't engross you and then you say to yourself why is it not engrossing me and then you sort of say well they haven't got the right choice of music or they the the way that person walks on isn't the right way to walk on or something like that. Yeah, you know you'll what find I mean? something. So you all, nothing's wasted, you know. It's it's all part of the um, experience of, um, yeah. It's all a learning curve. Yeah, and you're building towards something that hopefully will be nearly right and nothing is ever 100% right as <laughs> any of my casts will tell you. It's, um, they, they jokingly said to me, um, how many times tonight are you going to say, do it again? <laughs> you know? Would you ever change things during a production? You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you ch- say, yeah. you know, I watched the show last night and I don't want you yeah. to do... Oh, yeah. yeah. that. I mean, if that's not happening, especially in the early shows, I mean, that's quite natural. I suppose that's the... Uh, but then you have to be careful because, I mean, people that I work with by and large are doing the work in their spare time and... You can't turn around to someone and say, look, I'm going to change too much here because that's unfair. It's, you know, I know from having been on myself, I mean, you get really involved in, in a part and there's a kind of a, a musicality, a rhythm that goes in your head. Now, someone who's directed or whatever may suddenly decide one day, oh, I don't want that. Well, you're asking someone to change the way they've done something and the way they've invested themselves in something. Yeah. And that's not fair because... Um, to get where they are in their heads, you know, is, is um, and in their performances. That's taken them time. They've invested a lot in it too. So you have to be really, really sensitive and respectful to to the actors that you're with, you know. And uh, after the third or fourth performance, I think it's best to shut up and <laughs> let them get on their show at that point in time, you know. Just don't go watch yeah. it anymore. <laughs> no, no. If you had to pick one um, thing that you've done over the years... Oh dear. What would be your proudest, either from an acting or a writing or a producing? I think the Ron said that there was some show. I mean, I I I think that um, shows that I directed, I loved uh, what we did with Trojan Women, which was the first one I did with Newpoint because I I did a particularly interesting musical score. I thought there, and I had some really great performances. That was when you used the Gregorian chant. That's when I used yeah. the Gregorian chant. You'd heard, you've done your research on that. No, one, you spoke about it earlier. Listen, <laughs> and well, with Hitler as well. I mean, and then. Oh yeah, the Hitler. Yeah, yeah. You didn't uh, just explain what you did there with. With uh, well, I had the Gregorian chant, uh, Thomas Tallis, uh, Spam and Allium, and then I I had a recording of Hitler's one of his speeches at Nuremberg, and um, and I uh, overlaid the. The Gregorian chant. Sounds and, so interesting. Uh, well, I've still got it somewhere, but it's on tape now, you know. And then um, in Portia Coughlin, I remember there was a scene with uh, Anthony Fitzpatrick and Patricia McCoy that I will never forget um, because, uh, you know, they were supposed to be fighting, but I, I, I sort of said to them, let's do something different. And we played it contrary to that. And in other words, as if she was actually saying words which meant she despised him but she played to him as if she was almost making love to him you know but yeah. saying all these vile things to him so that was a scene or two and then in Mary Kay the music uh, the the Shannos, again it's a very important thing um, in Metamorphosis uh, there's a scene where Neil Heaney as the insect is is climbing uh, in his room which is a frame that we created and Killian Foy comes and fires um, you know uh, vegetables and apples and so forth now there aren't any vegetables there aren't any apples he's not actually throwing things it's all done in mime yeah. and again that's a scene that um, you know we worked on it we put it together as a team you know but it it sticks in my mind um, so from that point of view yes that's important uh, I'm trying to remember scenes because yeah. No matter how I work, um, yeah, um, on something, there's always something wrong with a complete show. I was going to say, that's the uh, perfectionist. Most directors would have to probably be 
perfectionist. And I think Metamorphosis and The Waiting for Godot, which I mentioned already, um, end to end, Godot was good. I think it was it was a good show. Get the level of dedication of Larry Hodgett and Donald O'Hanlon. Um, there's so many images from that, and that had no music in it. Of course, you weren't allowed music yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was that was one that I will remember forever. I think you know because just well, it's a powerful play as it it's is. It's powerful and it was funny and pathetic and all those things. And it's only when you're directly. I had studied it as a student and had uh, seen loads of productions of it um, but it's only when you're directing it do you realise how exceptionally difficult it is and then to do something with Lucky's it, monologue yeah <laughs> well, Lucky's monologue was absolutely superbly done by Sean Markey um, between that and Metamorphosis I think end to end as shows yeah from a directing point of view I got close to what we could ever possibly achieve I think yeah and there's a lot more to come for you? Well, you know... Judging by the amount of stuff you're telling well, me that you've done over lockdown? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Um, some of it, you know, I mean, at some point in time, I'll sit down and look at it again and say, well, that's no good or that's no good. And maybe I'll end up with nothing. You don't know. But, um, and then there are other shows that I would I would, I sh- I would like to do. You know, I'd like to do, you know, Much Ado About Nothing, for example, the Shakespeare. But I'd just love to do one of those. And... Um, yeah, um, I'm also writing a kind of uh, a comedy uh, based on uh, standing on the line at Carrot Puppin, you know, a kind of uh, uh, GA supporters comedy, you know, right. <laughs> what goes on on the line behind me based on some of my good friends out in Carrot Puppin, you know. But again, that may or may not work when it's done, we'll see. It depends on how many people recognise themselves. Well, I hope they do <laughs> recognise themselves anyway. They wouldn't be very difficult to, you know, to... Uh, to work out who everybody is or parts of them anyway but uh so that's in the pipeline as well so yeah lots of things okay yeah. well it's been lovely talking to you sean thank you Elaine. and um thank you very much and i hope we're back out there on the stage yeah um, hope to get watching. yeah i hope to get the youth show going at least this year and i don't know if i'll be making a contribution or writing a script for whatever but uh, uh that would be the first target for new point anyway and get our young juniors and car couple on the field yeah uh, that would be the two main the two main things then we get the seniors working with me in the, in the autumn time back with yeah this the festival circuits etc okay thanks very much Sean. no problem thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed that very insightful chat with sean trainer there um, remember to keep getting all of your news from RMAI and I hope you join us for the podcast next time.